Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Good morning and welcome to your partner in Success Radio. This is where top performers share their secrets to help you achieve your personal and your professional goals. I am your host, Denise Griffiths, and together with my amazing guests, we bring you inspiring and actionable insights, and they're aimed to take your life and your business to the next level. Ranked in the top 2% globally, this podcast really is a must listen. So whether you're tuning in for entrepreneurial tips, career advice, or personal development strategies, get ready to turn inspiration into action, challenges into triumphs, and dreams into reality. And on today's show, we are diving into decoding the consumer dilemma, or in other words, navigating the marketing landscape with my guests, John Linker and Kevin DeLaplante. He's, I hope I said that right. I was practicing. I hope I said it right. And they are two visionaries who embody the belief that great ideas are humanity's most powerful resource. Now, John Linker is the founder and chief vision officer at Linker, and he's known for his creative practice prowess in brand strategy. And Kevin is the partner and chief knowledge officer, and he is a former academic philosopher, bringing analytical rigor to strategic engagements. We're going to talk about those engagements. And together, they lead brand strategy and innovative initiatives with a shared commitment to meaningful connections. Welcome to your partner in success radio, John and Kevin. It's good to have you here. And did I mangle your names? If I did, I'll smack myself. You're brilliant. Thank you for that, having us on the show. That was perfect, Denise. Thank you. Thank you oh, so much. I practiced. I really did. So listen, gentlemen, it's good to have you here. And I need to tell the audience, this is just part one of two episodes. We're going to be recording again in just a few days, because when I did the pre-interview, probably a couple of months ago now, I remember saying to John, this is a big topic. It's a very big topic, and I don't think an hour is going to do it justice. So they're here today. We'll cover as much as we can today, and then we're going to come back on Friday. So mark your calendars. So gentlemen, before I get you know really up and running and asking you questions, can you share a bit about yourself and the wonderful ways that you navigate through the world? Well, I'm the founder of Linker. Um, we are a firm focused on growth consulting and, and offering marketing services. Um, you know, people, they hear that and they think, are you like an ad agency or you know, I've heard of a marketing firm, what makes you different? What makes us different is, you know, we're, we're more like a management consulting firm um, meets a marketing firm. So we're, we're focused not just on, you know, getting marketing projects done for our clients, but really understanding their overarching business goals and helping them set realistic goals that, that make sense and coming up with, you know, the growth strategy that's going to help them achieve those goals. So um, we come up with with game plans for them to pursue. And then we go along with them on the journey to help them uh, get to their goals. Uh, so it's a it's a very much a partnership, the way that we approach it. Uh, we're committed to the outcome. We're committed to your success. So it makes sense that we're on your partner in success radio today. Thank you. We talked a lot. And Kevin, can you jump in and share a bit about you as well? Sure. Well, you know, I'm I'm chief knowledge officer with Lanker, and so part, part of my job is is helping the organization gather knowledge and use knowledge in in all its various forms. Um, and but I, I came to the I came to Lanker not because I was interested in marketing, but I came because I was interested in um, applying knowledge that I had learned over time to actually make people's lives better. And so when you're a teacher, say, and you're in that teaching role for many years, it can feel like maybe you're just sort of kind of spinning the wheels, right? I and mean, there's ideas lurking here that could be, could really change people's lives if they were out there. And so I knew that I couldn't um, uh, really re- have that kind of impact staying behind a, a classroom podium. So um, partnering up with John was a way of sort of combining a lot of our strengths in a way so that we could make impact 
And, um, and I was, as you mentioned, your intro, we really believe that a really great idea is an extraordinarily powerful thing, but really great ideas need champions. They need, they don't manifest themselves. Right. So we, we think of ourselves as helping to turn really great ideas into reality to have real impact. And that's, that's the, uh, the way that I think about the, the, the business that, that we're actually in. And I'm realizing, I'm sorry, I'm realizing listening to Kevin that I didn't do a good job of answering your actual question, which is, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, but listening to what Kevin just said, um, you know, I, I would say that, you know, I'm a person who uh, in, in, you know, the 30 plus years I've been pursuing, the, you know, this, this business and this career, um, I've been deeply interested in bringing um, something more substan more substantial and real uh, to the marketing industry. It's an industry that that has a bad reputation. Uh, a lot of people think that the things that that happen in in our industry are largely propaganda and you know marketers just say whatever they they have to say to get what they want. And um, you know I you know I have a, a, a deep commitment to bringing ethics to marketing and to helping businesses actually, position themselves in, in the marketplace in a way that makes them a market leader genuinely and truly. And that, you know, the communications about that, uh, the promotion of that is really just kind of turning the lights onto the truth, um, you know, in the marketplace. And you, you think about that dimmer switch you have in your dining room, you know, the, the more you kind of slide it up, the, the lights come on. And in the same way, you know, we want to connect with clients that, that have something really genuine and, and substantive that they're doing and, and, and promoting, you know, their, their, their platforms or their products or their services um, it is really a matter of just gradually turning the lights onto the truth. And um, we, we call that persuasive education and we want to be persuasive as we educate people about the realities. And um, the reason that originally Kevin and I got hooked up is because in my pursuit of you know developing myself uh, along those lines and and being more capable of delivering on those ideals, you know I'd, I'd listen to different kind of podcasts. Um, and Kevin had uh, a leading podcast on uh, critical thinking and argumentation, and I was a fan. And so I originally reached out as a, a supporter. You know I was a Patreon supporter of Kevin's and. Over time, you know, one thing led to another, and, and we were able to pursue some opportunities together, and it went so well that eventually um, I asked him to come in and be a partner here at Lenker. Um, but I guess that's the thing that kind of unites us um, is that you know we're, we're deeply committed to bringing reality to our messages. And in Kevin's story, it was you know I was teaching about things that that I wanted to see how they worked in the real world, and. Um, and, and on my side, you know, we were doing things in the real world that we wanted to be, you know, bring to a place that was progressively more principled. And I thought, wow, you know, here's somebody with, with actual background and a PhD in, in these ideas. Um, I'm someone with, with a lot of real world experience in, in advertising and e-learning and all these kinds of things. And, and maybe together we can get closer to that goal and that mark of, of, um, you know, doing the most excellent job of, of bringing things to market via our clients that are undeniably excellent. You know, um, we, we say that we want our clients to become the undeniable solution in the market and the brands that our audience has come to know, trust and love, no trust and love, because the more they know them, the more they see it's true, it's real. And, and I think at the heart of it, and, and we talked about this a little bit in our in our you know pre-interview is, um, you know, it's it's getting kind of old. You know, a lot of these buzzwords. You know, there's always some set of buzzwords going around in business, and you know, right now the ones that to me are getting the most tired out are words like authenticity, and transparency, and you know, um, you know, we're going to be authentic and we're going to be transparent. But you know, unless you're putting into practice principles that that kind of surround those ideas it just becomes another set of empty promises and you know we're we're kind of out on a mission kevin and i and and the team you know our other partners at linker and, and our team uh 
you know, to, to really change that dynamic, um, to turn things around and do things that are true and real um, in a way that can be verified and, and measured and reported on and learned from and iterated on and enhanced and improved. And, you know, we, one of the reasons we do podcasts like this is because it's a great way for people out there in the world, in the business world, to get exposure to how we really think, you know, we're not following a script in these, in these interviews. Um, We're speaking from our heart. We're speaking from our experiences. And, you know, there's an old saying deep calls unto deep. And, and I guess we, we hope that through these kinds of interviews um, people can go, you know what, I'm looking for people with those kinds of values to help, me grow my business and 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 reach uh, my highest goal. So um, that's a little bit about me to compliment what Kevin said about him. It's a little bit of, more about what we are at Linker and that, you know, um, the last thing in the world we want to be is a company that has a, a bunch of, you know, empty statements about uh, genuineness and authenticity and and helping our clients become market leaders in a way that's completely disconnected from reality. And this is exactly why I wanted you to come in for two episodes, you know, what you just explained, because when we spoke during our first pre-interview, we wound up through my boo-boo, we had to do a second one and thank you guys for being so patient. But the more I listened to you, I was like this, we can't do this in an hour. We just cannot. It's too important. And you know, we're talking about fake authenticity. I'll be honest with you. When I see somebody, you know, hand over heart, you know, I'm authentic and I'm blah, blah, blah. I, I leave. I can't. My spidey sense goes up. My critical thinking goes into play and I leave. Right. We're, we're, um, you know what that re- reminds me of when you may say that you, your spidey sense is that mm-hmm. hu- human beings really are very good detectors of a genuine authenticity versus, you know, fake or sort of misaligned. And, and of course we, we can be fooled. People do it all the time. You fool other people, but in general, human beings, we have to, we're the kind of creature that we're a social creature. We get, we survive and we achieve what we have because we work in groups together. We partnership, we can, build cities together. We do technology together. We have culture. It's a unique species. And one of the things we have to learn how to do is navigate the social environment that, that, that we've built. I mean, it's the reason why it takes like 25 years for our brains to mature, because you need all that time to internalize the social rules of our lives. And things like, how am I supposed to uh, relate to and deal with family and loved ones. How am I supposed to relate to and deal with strangers or work colleagues? The rules are endless. And we learn them, we get we get socialized into them. So we do have normal functioning brains have really have good detectors to the point where you can you can be on your on the phone with with your partner, for example. And just the one with the way they say hello can set you can you you can know they're upset. They're having a bad day. They're having a bad day. Right. They that that level of awareness is something that we bring to you know. Now, what's what's interesting is that in business, um, when you're trying to make judgments about whether to trust another business, then I think the challenge is feeling like I don't know how do I bring that natural sensitivity that human beings have one on one to bear on making judgments about relationships between business entities. Like it seems so far, so foreign, like how do I, how can I tell? Right. And um, I have to that's, that's a trick. I have to interrupt because I have a question and I'll forget when you're, we're looking at, you know, partnering with a business or promoting a business. I always go look at the founder always is that smart or am I wasting my time? I would say with a business that still has a founder around, a business okay. with the founder at, at, the, at the wheel, but there's a lot of legacy businesses where the founder is gone. And what happens after founders de- depart is that they're run by management teams. And the founder's personality and psychology may no longer be animating that, that company anymore. It's the same name, the same brand, but it's a different entity. 
we actually just did a, a we we just did a, a project for a company that um was founded in in the 70s i think it was um that you know the founder had long since gone away and the, the company was still named after them and um over time progressively their value proposition not only eroded in the minds of the people in the marketplace but it it really had eroded within the minds of the people within the organization. They were having a little bit of an identity crisis. And, and so therefore, you know, the, the, the ball didn't move forward very much. And um, because of some uh, exposure that one of the senior directors had to us through some other engagements that they were aware of, uh, they asked us in and they, they entrusted to us the process of helping them, you know, um, morph into uh, relevance again, at least in terms of how they uh, state their value proposition. I mean, because of course they were still relevant, um, but they, they didn't know how to talk about that so much. And we just had a very successful engagement with this this organization um, in helping them transition into the 21st century and to find that identity and to find the roots and the values that that still resonated and still could be carried forward, but to kind of uh, synthesize it with um, the experiences and and the awareness of the current culture and uh, the business environment, um, in in order to 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 create something that that really resonated and and had that ring of truth, um, but that was also married deeply to the substance of what they what they are and the value they actually are delivering and have continued to deliver over the years and, and the feedback that we got as a result of this. And, and this is something that took like a year and a half to, to do um, was just tremendously positive, the feedback and um, you know, not just putting a new kind of, you know, makeover on something that, 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 that didn't have any kind of relevance to, to the past, but something that, that was genuinely an outgrowth of what had been, um, but that that was was meaningful and and could be present in the in the minds of you know the various audience members and their constituents you know today. So you know what Kevin just talked about and what you just mentioned um, you know is is very much a thing. There's a, there's a lot of people that kind of go through that succession planning that fail to think about identity as a part of that succession planning. They think just about who's going to have the equity in the business, but, but nobody really thinks too much about who's going to be the vision holder after this transition. And see, I, I realized after um, Kevin started explaining that I shouldn't have said founder, although I do still go look at them because I love history. I want to know who started this company, but I would have been better served by saying, I want to know who the current CEO is and what his culture is all about. Because if it's Disney or some of these other companies that have gone completely woke, in my opinion, I want nothing to do with them. And I don't think I'm alone. I think a lot of us are going, you're not who you used to be. I don't know if I can hang with you. Well, you, you know, what you, the point, yeah, I think another way of saying what you're saying is that um, you kind of want to know who you're getting into business with. Right. And, and um, you know, different people have different perspectives on, on different issues. Um, but you know, there needs to be an alignment. Um, one, one of the things that we focus on in our, in our practice is something we call brand strategy alignment, right? Once you've come up with a really smart game plan from a strategic planning standpoint for your business, something that we help develop for our clients, how do you then project that into your branding in a way that makes a real authentic connection between what you're actually setting out to do and um and and the message that you're putting out there so that people don't show up and 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 get something completely unexpected or they become very disappointed um so i, I think you know know your audience is you know a, a tried and true saying know your audience and then prepare something that is going to resonate you know the example you just gave um, you know, you're one of the one of the constituents of of a major brand, and and what you basically just said is, you know, what I I used to like what they cooked up. I liked the taste of it, and you know, I the you know what they're serving now. They've changed the menu, and and I don't I don't want to consume that anymore. Um, and you know, that's that's a valid point of view. 
You know, maybe there are people who didn't like what they offered before who like it now. Um, and, and, you know, they're catering to that audience. But I, I think thinking through all of this is super important. And, um, you know, that that's something that we think doesn't get enough time is is the thinking through it part. And, and really what we do in our practice is it's almost like corporate therapy. <laughs> you know, we, we help resolve a lot of these tensions and bring a reality check. Now, what is, you know, through, you know, really comprehensive market opportunity analysis um, or examining and validating the market opportunity analysis that you've done as a client, um, you know, we provide insights and opinions about what we think the results of that are going to be. What is that going to lead to? You do ABC, what's going to happen as a result? And a lot of times the theories and the, and maybe the wishful thinking around how a business is planning to move forward in the world, um, you know, a lot of times it misses the mark. You know, it's, it's, it's not just about hitting the targets in business, right? It's also about picking the right targets to aim for. You, you can hit the target all day long, but if, if if it's the wrong target to have aimed for, you're you're still going to end up in in a bad situation. Um, so, I'm glad you brought up market opportunity analysis. We had spoken about that, and we also spoke a bit about oversaturated markets. How do people determine if they're oversaturated, and it may not be the best place to go just yet? Well, it's it it, it could be. Um that most most markets that are interesting are going to be saturated. If you're in, in, in an interesting field, the cars or something cool, you know, fitness or whatever, it's going to attract attention. Um, and so almost all those markets are, by default, they're kind of saturated. You've got lots of players in, 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 in those markets. And so the, the challenge then is to figure out a way to uh, figure out what your unique value proposition is like, what are you, what is the thing that you bring to the table that is, is going to be different? Um, and if you don't have something new to the table, you should not be trying to compete in that market. That's the, that's the fact you start with the reality check of like, like, do I have something new to offer? And when you do decide that you figure that out, then the question is how do I make it so that the market sees that and can tell the difference between me and everybody else? That's of course the, the, the fundamental challenge of, um, so branding in some ways. And I love that challenge because it's the, it, kind of the art and science of branding actually is to create differentiation between you and, and the pack. So you decluster yourself. And the trick here is that you want to not be so far out, so different that you confuse people. Like you can have, here's a move. You say, I'm going to be so radically different. I'm going to be hovering outside the cluster so far. It's like Pluto way out there, Right. And the problem is if you're if the response of your audience is, I don't know what you are, I don't I'm confused by you, then you've failed at, at the job. If you get in closer to the inner planets of the solar system, right? There's there's a familiarity there, the market understands what the norms are. What you want to avoid is getting lost in the in the cluster of those inner planets that all look the same. You've got to be outside that that re region where you borrow on the familiarity of that cluster, and then you differentiate yourself enough. Um, and right, so it's that balance of safety and novelty. Safety means I know what you are. I think I can trust you. I think I'm attracted to you. And then novelty is, but you are different from everybody else. Got it. You're making me think of a commercial that I saw many, many years ago, and I'm in Cajun country. And that's important to know because there, this was a tire commercial. You know, I feel the same way about toilet paper. Why do they need so many commercials? I don't watch TV, but really, we all know what it is. But this man sold tires, nothing but tires. Very large Cajun man. I'm sure he's long gone by now. And he wore a bright, red blazer and he would stand in front of these stacks of tires and say look i know tires ain't pretty but you gotta have them and that was the gist of his commercial he's look this is probably 20 years ago i still remember him standing in front of those tires tires ain't pretty but you gotta have them well yeah 
So who are you going to go to? The guy on the red jacket. Well, the fact that you're telling that story now on this podcast years after having seen that means that that bit of branding did the job. It was memorable. It's it's stuck in your head. And he pointed out the obvious. It was brilliant. So so let's look at that for a second. Let's just take that as an example. Okay, so you've got this person and and they they stood out to you now let's just say that they did really well you know there's something endearing about that person the personality maybe the you know the the red sport coat uh was was kind of a signature um you know the southern drawl yeah you know this person obviously realized you know they're in a um a commodity market which means you have to do a lot of volume to be in that business so you have to attract a lot of people to do a lot of transactions at very low margins to succeed. And, and, and maybe like a Costco, it's, it's more of a top line uh, revenue model than a bottom line revenue model. Um, but let's just say super successful, right? So successful that the other competitors in the marketplace are thinking, gosh, you know, this guy is stealing market share. Um, we need to get our own version of that. Right. So they put out commercials that, try to in some way replicate it, right? Uh, another person, you know, maybe it's a little different. It's it's a woman instead of a man. It's a purple blazer instead of a, a red one. And they start to kind of copy, you know, they want to ride that wave. Well, you know, this is actually something that happens all the time. And it goes right back to the centerpiece of our conversation at the beginning, sort of fake authenticity. I'll give you an example. Um, throughout the the you know, early 2000s and into the teens, um, there was kind of a big movement around Brooklyn hipster sensibilities, okay? Um, A way of dressing, you know, craft beer, you know, guys with weird fedoras and, you know, you know, Amish person beards and, but they lived in Brooklyn and they were, you know, super, super into these detailed crafty things about whether it's beer or food or, you know, the, you know, pillowcases that they make or whatever it is. And it started getting a lot of traction and um, people wanted stuff that felt like it came from that kind of arena. And, you know, it, it worked for a long time, but something started to happen. The first thing that started to happen is that some of the more successful businesses like that started to get uh, bought by private equity firms. So they gave really big exits to some of these people who have been successful. They took it over, corporatized it. And now it's not these people running it anymore. Maybe they're still kind of on the, on the TV commercial, but it, the, the sensibilities around it have completely been erased. And then other competitors start to offer their similar product. And you know, think about something like a breakfast cereal. You go down the breakfast cereal aisle and you see this like, you know, looks like it was made in Brooklyn by a couple guys with long beards and fedoras, right? And then you you flip the box over and look at it and it's like made by XYZ big conglomerate company, you know, the same ones that, you know, were, have been making cereal for 30 years now. So the packaging looks like it's got that authentic Brooklyn kind of craft aura, but in reality it has it, it's completely disconnected from that. People are just trying to use that to kind of pull the wool over the eyes of the people who who want to plug into the, those set of sensibilities. So, so that's kind of the enemy of of what we're talking about. You know, the the people trying to do something genuine and real, but then quickly it becomes a trend. And there's actually a framework around this idea. And you know, it's it's you know the the product innovation curve or the service innovation curve. Right. You know, there's there's something that's innovative and new. It gets introduced. You know, there's there's some, you know, uh, early adopters and people who really get into it. Uh, there's people who, you know, start to kind of follow and 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 sort of the the word is spreading and more people are coming forward. And there's you know kind of an early majority of people that kind of get you to the top of that bell curve. And then there's a late majority. But by the time those people start going along with it, it it's starting. The market's really getting saturated people are following, margins are going down, more and more people are trying to copy. It, it, again, it becomes more of a commodity. The wrong time to get in, into an industry. If you think of it like a wave and you're a surfer, it's it's the wrong time to try to catch the wave is when the wave is fully developed, it's going to crash down on you. 
You want to catch it at the right time. When, when clients come to us, we ask three questions in the kind of the initial qualification process. Why this? Why now? And why you? Why are you choosing to do this in, in the world of business and introduce this into the marketplace? Why is now the right time to be doing it? Why, why are you catching the wave at the right time? And why you? Why are you qualified to be the one to become the market leader and to exploit this market opportunity and, and to kind of lead? And if you don't have really good answers to those questions, you know, it, it's it's probably not something that should be pursued. That's part of what makes us different is we'll give you that advice. We, we've turned away clients and told them you'd be best served to not pursue what you're talking about doing because you're going to lose all of your equity if you, if you try to do that. So, you know, I've, I've tried to give a, a real world example of how kind of this fake authenticity actually happens. You know, people trying to project an image that has nothing to do with the reality of who they are, nothing to do with their value proposition. And, and this is part of what, you know, you talk about a saturated market, what comes with that? Everybody's putting out their message, just exponentially more messages saying the same kinds of things. And it becomes so overwhelming. It's, it's, it's where we get ideas like information overload and information pollution. If you think about what is information pollution, it's, you know, if, if you're um, in the desert and you're, and you're starving and you're, and you're thirsty and there's nothing and you see a sign finally that says fresh water here and hot lunch. Oh my gosh, it's, I've been waiting for that. It's, it's the one thing you wanted to hear, but you know, you think of a place like Las Vegas, right out in the desert and maybe they had one casino one time. It was like really cool. But then when you get everybody is doing it and all the signs are flashing all these things, you know, um, it, it becomes overload it becomes commonplace it becomes mundane and and actually in, in that kind of situation um you know what do you do if you're trying to compete you know what what is the market opportunity you should pursue and, and what we propose is that in times like this it's time whether you're a new business or a established business that's that's maybe you know, your sales are in decline, your margins are shrinking, you're having to work twice as hard this year as you did before to, to get even, you know, smaller profit. It's times like these to take a step back and do an assessment, to do an evaluation. What is at the core of your skills and competencies that could be crafted into something that's worth pursuing and that could really add value in the marketplace and that would set you head and shoulders above your competition. The question we ask is this, what is it that you could do that if you did it would help you become the undeniable solution in the market, right? And, and it, there's sort of this continuum of doing something remarkable that helps you become something substantial that lets you have and attain the goals that you're trying to achieve. You know, you reach your goal. You, you have that success because you did the things that led to you becoming something real that helped you attain and have and hold on to a, a position in the marketplaces that's worth having. So here I went off on another, you know, major sermon, but um, that's at the core of, of what we think about every day here at Lenker. That makes sense. And I've interviewed several people who, out of COVID, did exactly what you're talking about. They stood back, they watched, they listened, they didn't make knee-jerk decisions. And some of those knee-jerk decisions were to just disappear and not get in touch with the people they needed to be in touch with. Those businesses are now gone, but they upskilled themselves dramatically. And I think that's what you're talking about. One of the, yeah, um, go ahead, Jeff. One of the distinctions that we draw in, in our business is the business strategies that are value-based, you know, where the goal of a business is to create value in the market, unique value, but there are these other business models that are not value-based at all. And there are still opportunities to make money at them like copycat businesses where you ride a trend 
and you uh, the whole the whole strategy is to you you see what's trending. You've got, for example, John, John's example, and then you find a way of wrapping that brand energy around a product or a service, and you put it on the market. And you get quick gains because you get to, but you know, but it's 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 only a short term thing. You have to then it's going to fall off. It's it's not. Uh, sustainable. You'd have to move on to another thing. It's like the market for DVDs for videos. When you have a major movie like Frozen, and you have all these copycat films that are made that look and sound like the same cover as the Frozen DVD, so that you can copy it and you get some people to buy those, sort of thinking they're going to get the same experience. Right? Those are those, in fact, suck value out of the market. They're kind of a parasitic. Uh, um, business model, but that doesn't mean that they can't make people money. And as long as that's possible, then the market will sustain a certain volume of this kind of stuff. It's the way that no it's the way that the markets get noisy with products and services that really are kind of deceptive or kind of short term or whatever. They could fool you. Um, and there, there isn't a way to uh, screen off that from happening because you can always find people who are opportunistic and want to take advantage, but it's going to be short-term. It's not a sustainable business. And in the end, uh, for us, it's a hollow way to do business. It's hollow, it's shallow, and you're not really adding value to the world that way. However, and, and I want to I want to yeah. jump in here so that the audience doesn't think we're overly idealistic or that we have some kind of naive altruism that's not based on reality. Um, the truth is, you know, going back to sort of the, you know, this Brooklyn craft, you know, maybe there's just an amazing hamburger joint in in Brooklyn that like everybody raves about and these guys are awesome. Um, but maybe they don't run their business very well. Maybe there's, you know, you know, the reviews are inconsistent. Um, and and maybe some competitor comes along and says, you know, I love the quality of what those guys do when they do it right. But what they don't know how to do is operationalize what they have and scale it. And the competitor comes in to do, you know, the, the knockoff, but it's not that they're trying to kind of sneak by something that's a lower standard, but maybe they've taken an idea that somebody else has had. Um, you know, that was an innovation in quality or the characteristics were unique, but what they bring to the table is the, the ability to operationalize it and turn it into a scalable business. And, and what, and, and the, so they're, they're in one sense, they're copying what the guys in, in Brooklyn did in that, you know, craft uh, hamburger joint, but they're able to franchise it and operationalize it, um, you know, in a way that, that actually is bringing real value. You know, they're not just trying to to steal the idea and then do nothing uh, other than kind of divert sales to them versus somebody else. They're actually building the market and creating uh, the ability for a, a greater range of consumers to experience it and maybe a greater range of, of places. You know, I, I think, you know, I think of a place like Five Guys, you know, we're talking about hamburgers. I think that started out in New York and I think it was Five Brothers that just became very popular but somebody came along with a way of franchising that and scaling it. Um, and so, you know, it, it isn't true that just because you are riding the tail of somebody else's innovation, it doesn't mean that you can't bring another dimension of innovation and create value. You can. So um, I, I just wanted to kind of add that part. So it didn't sound like we're, you know, trying to start some cult here of, you know, unless you had the original idea, you don't count, you know, fooey on you. No, um, you know, there's, but, but the, the, the exercise that we need to go through is to really define what your value proposition is. What is it that you're adding that, that makes people when they hear your story and your value proposition, they go, I'd have to be a fool to not say yes to them. I mean, what they are offering is so undeniable. And, and they've been so transparent. I, I've seen all the sides of this. They, they've persuasively educated me, educated me to the degree that I, I feel that I fully understand this and I want to get behind it. So, um, you know, there's there's that. Interesting. And I have to say, um, Kevin, when you were talking just a few minutes ago, I wrote down franchises, question mark, question mark. Mm -hmm. So apparently I was listening between the lines and didn't even know it, but... 
you know, their franchises are everywhere and they were just an idea. McDonald's, I guess, was maybe one of the first ones. I don't know. But it was the it was the first was it McDonald's? Okay. Well, it was the first one that that followed that kind of of model of yeah. you know, turning turning a, a really innovative approach to how to deliver and, and actually it, it's what I just said, you know, they had this this amazing ability to provide a volume of of uh of food of a particular kind that was repeatable every single time so that you know more people could come through that store in a given day than the average hamburger stand that was their their real innovation that everybody has copied ever since and they knew what the customers knew what they were getting it wasn't going to be you know, a little bit raw one time or taste different than it. it was always the same thing all the time but but the fact is that you know now you know Ray Kroc is is long since gone, and McDonald's has become a major corporation, um, one of the biggest in the world, and you know the 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 way they're making their money and the volume that they're doing isn't so much tied to quality anymore. No, and and it's created that. room for companies like Five Guys, and you know they're here in the Twin Cities, which is where I'm based. Kevin's based in Canada. Um, but you know, the, around our region, there's a, a franchise called Culver's, and I will choose to eat at Culver's every time that that I can, versus one of the more you know traditional um, franchises like you know McDonald's or Burger King, because they have they've learned the lessons that McDonald's and Burger King and those types of businesses had to teach about scaling something. Um, you know, there's there's a book called The E Myth that that talked a lot about how how to do this. Um, I have the book; it's in my book my bookcase. I'm looking at it. But but a company like Culver's has been able to come and say, you know, we're gonna we're gonna use all that scalability, all those principles, all those systems, but we're gonna bring the quality back. Okay. You know, when you when you drive through the drive through, the here's what they say to you, they, and I can quote it exactly. They say, "What can I make for you fresh today?" What can I make for you fresh today? And then they and they make it fresh for you that order to order, and and the quality is. I mean, I just got to say it. This is not an ad for Culver's. They're not a client. It's as good as any cheeseburger I have ever had anywhere. That's how, and probably better. And um, and so they've they've you know it's like who in their right mind? And, and I think they they really. I'm going to guess they started in the nineties and they've really started to take off who in their right mind would, would franchise a hamburger uh, business so late in the game. I mean, what, what could they do? How it's a completely foolish idea in, if you're following one mindset, but because they had realized some things, they, they'd leveraged sort of the system and process thinking that was popularized through some of these franchise models. The the E-Myth talks about it. Ray Kroc pioneered it. What could we add to that? How could we bring an X factor to that? And they did. And it's crazy successful. It's growing and thriving. And you know, I, I don't know if they've long since been bought out and, and what's happening. I, I know almost nothing about the business other than I am a 100% satisfied customer every single time. And from a quality standpoint, they they really deliver. So, John, John, your example there is a good. It helps make a good point that there's a difference between market share and profitability. You, you might think, how can I be profitable if I can't gain market share on the, these this cluster? No, no, no. You can have a highly profitable business and a very small market share, um, because you have a loyal segment that you you you've you've dialed in the size of your business to match that market niche um in a way that has a perfectly fine business and it doesn't it can be just a fraction of the total market share that's entirely possible it is and if anybody's wondering who wrote the e-myth it's michael gerber okay so i've got questions guys what are some of the signs or the, the red flags that indicate somebody or something is just not 
authentically genuine. And I can give you some signs just off the top of my head. And I don't know if this is a new thing on social media, but it's an annoying thing. And, you know, you can show up as fake almost immediately. Let's just use LinkedIn as an example. I've gotten to where on LinkedIn, I'm very cautious about accepting, you know, new connections because all of a sudden within minutes, they're saying, what do you do for a living? Can we have coffee? Would you like to chat? No. And I just block them. It's annoying. There's nothing about that. Yeah, I mean, I don't even bother to say, no, thank you. I'd like coffee before you offer the ring. I just block them because I know they're following this fake path that some coach taught them. Whoever's doing this, stop it. Well, this brings up a really important uh, point. And and actually, we, we didn't mention this, but Kevin and I are, are working on a new book um, that, that kind of addresses this. The, the book is called The Follow Formula, Taking Command of the Customer Journey. I and, have that down. You beat me to it. Okay, keep going. <laughs> well, we'll edit, you know, fundamentally, here's what it what it's going to, uh, what it's what's talking about, which is in in real life, in our most important human connections that we have, um, there are protocols. Kevin talked about some of them earlier. You know, there, there are things that that happen in a relationship when it unfolds in a healthy and productive and natural way that, that are important uh, components to how we build mil- meaningful relationships. And where businesses go wrong is that they forget that their business is ultimately coming down to humans interacting. And when you try to strip away the the important sociologically and psychologically based uh, components that must be there for a healthy relationship to develop, when you try to strip that out and and you end up doing things blindly like ask for inappropriate things Asking for things at the wrong moment in a relationship, like, hey, can I connect with you on LinkedIn? And oh, by the way, here's what I want to sell you right now. Right? It's it's a very, it's a very tricky thing. And I, I think all of us have maybe fallen into that to some degree or another. I, I can't say that I've been completely innocent of it in in my professional career, but but um maybe a poignant example of a similar thing. Uh, I use this example sometimes is, you know, a person walks into a car dealership and, you know, it's a Saturday afternoon. They walk into a car dealership, you know, maybe you're, you're dressed nice. You look like you might be affluent in some way. And somebody immediately approaches you and says, hi, my name is John. Would you like to buy a new car today? And and you're like, uh, no, you know, leave me alone. And and by the way, that's, that's super needy what you just did. And and, and you just projected that what you're here for today is to make a commission off me. What can I get from you? You walked into my zone. You're here. What can I get? You? What can I get from you? You know, it, none of us would do that in a real relationship where we wanted to make a good impression on people. Hi, my name is John. What can I get from you? What can you give me? But we do this in business. It's 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 asinine. It's it's completely disconnected from what a human being is going to build trust. You know, we say it again. We want you to become the undeniable solution in the market, and the brand your audiences come to know, trust, and love. To know someone is to have a proximity relationship. It's, it's some you've allowed somebody to to get close to you, and you've built trust, and you've come to develop some level of affection or affinity for that person. There's a there's a way to do this in real life, in real relationships. And you cannot disconnect from that in pursuing business relationships. And I know it's really tempting with technology and CRMs and marketing automation to just kind of spam the universe and add to this information pollution and this information overload. It's tempting. I'm not saying that that there aren't traps for all of us, but it's something that if you really want to become a market leader, it's going to have to be something that's much more authentic and real and genuine. It has to be born from something real. It does. And, you know, as you guys know, I'm a podcaster and LinkedIn, honestly, I hate to even go in there anymore. You know, I'm getting daily, you know, please accept me, blah, blah, blah. They immediately want to handle my podcast. 
They want to edit my podcast. They want to be my person. I'm my person. I'm my team. And they don't know that, but they're, they should already know something. They should say, Hey, Denise, love your podcast. Give me an example of which one. One of the best things that did happen to me in, in this particular arena was I got a, a little video from somebody who has now become, she was, became a, a podcast guest and we do business together, meaning that we refer people back and forth. And she sent me the most lovely little video, said, hey, Denise, I love your podcast. This is why I love it, blah, 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 blah. And I would be honored to be on your podcast. Well, yeah, you bet. I went and I looked at her. I looked at the work she's doing. That was an instant invite. But hey, by the way, my so, I'm so-and-so, I'm from Pakistan, and I can do all of this, blah, blah, blah. Let's jump on a call. That's not just a no, guys. That's a hell no. I get kind of well, cranky about these things. No, but you know, I, I just want to say that it's not that there there isn't real value. I mean, I, you know, we we work with a number of offshore um, individuals who are just fabulous and do an amazing job. You know, from different countries and and there's a, in in the modern business economy, there's a role uh, there is. for some you know, of my team members are from you know other countries. They're terrific. But it's 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 they about didn't the try to do this with me like bah, 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 hire me no. So so let's talk about communication strategy now for a yeah. second. Okay, so so that's what not to do, what to do. Um, you know my my original book that I wrote about online communications philosophy uh, called Trade of Thoughts: Designing the Effective Web Experience. Um, you know talked about this framework: we, uh, attract, inform, and invoke. And, you know, what is, what can you do to attract attention, right? What can you do to convert that attention into sales, convert, you know, prospects into customers? Um, you know, th again, bringing it to the human to human level, you, you go to, a, you know, a cocktail party or something. And we all know when, you know, people who walk in the room and they just, you know, you know, they're talking, they're, they're annoying people. They're trying. They're they're attention getters. They're attention getters, right? We don't like attention getters. Contrast that to somebody who walks into the room that just is a magnet for attention, because there's something about them that just draws people in. Um, whether it's it's their looks or their personality or the way they carry themselves or or, or whatever. Um, you know, there's a, there's a difference between somebody who just naturally attracts people and somebody who tries to get attention. And unfortunately, we're living in an information economy where the vast majority of people are just trying to get attention, get attention, get attention. And what do the rest of us do? They do what you do. They put their arms up. They're trying to block people from coming in. We call this the marketing paradox in our in our philosophy. That you know your job as a marketer is to attract attention, but the the harder you push and the more you try, the stronger the barriers that go up and the higher they are to resist you coming in. And how do you how do you kind of break into somebody's consciousness when they're trying to fight to keep you out? And you know you talked about one way somebody did something different. You know they sent you a video, but now that becomes trendy. Everybody's doing that now. You're blocking that. You know what is it? What is it that that can actually make the biggest difference. And, and what we propose is the most important thing you can do is to develop what is the undeniable solution in the market that you generally are head and shoulders above your competition. You've crafted a business strategy and approach to the marketplace that, that when people get to understand it and they do let you in, it becomes clear to them that you really are uh, the the place that they should invest and the and the one that they should say yes to, and that by developing a reputation and this is gets into branding and Kevin talks a lot about what goes into a brand whether it's a personal brand or a business brand but you you develop that reputation as just being you know where the action's at and everybody starts through word of mouth you know wanting to connect with you and 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 you get enough critical mass through that smaller networking approach that that next layer of attention getting 
um, or the, the the next layer of of being magnetic to draw people in in a in a in a greater kind of sphere of influence, it starts to kind of naturally cascade, right? This, this we call it trickle down influence. It's cascading effect of influence that starts through interpersonal belief and starts to spread through networks of influence into a greater mass market. And I I take a lot of notes while. Well my guests are talking because I find y'all fascinating and I learn from you. I really do think that my guests are more often than not my mentors. And this is what I wrote down while you were talking. Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela was known as a brilliant conversationalist. He spoke very little. He listened. But everybody thought he was a brilliant conversationalist. Mm -hmm. So there's something to go along there, he, he, completely authentic. He wasn't trying to blah, 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 shout above the crowd, make noise. He wanted to know what was important to you. Well, there's somebody who had, you know, zero market share at one point in his, his story. That's exactly and right. Ended up having all the market share at another point in his story through, um, and, and I think this is maybe a little primer of what we might cover on the next episode um you know we talked about that fundamental question you know what what would you need to do that if you did it would help you become the undeniable solution in the market right and that you would have the market share that you want this this continuum do be have um is is something that you know i think we can maybe develop in the next in the next time together a little bit which was actually inspired by a um, one of our pro bono clients who's got one of the largest youth development foundations in the Twin Cities, uh, who's helped just tens of, literally tens of thousands of kids to, uh, who, you know, are at risk youth to, to kind of reach their highest potential, uh, just a beloved person and, and just kind of observing um, the impact that that he has had in his organization and sort of the, the methods they follow, you know, kind of our our hot take on it is, is um you know it's do be have you got a lot of kids who want a better life i want to have this i want to have that how do you how do you get to having those things well you got to be the kind of person who has those things well how do you be the person who has those things you got to do the work and you know the this guy you know tony sani uh, runs the sani foundation uh, was a world cup soccer player on the on the u.s team and you know sports is a really great uh, arena to think about you know the, the people who put the work in, they do the work, they, they practice the fundamentals to build the skills and become the kind of players that have the success that they want to have. And then all the rewards that go with it. Um, you know, it's, it's easy to kind of see, you know, how that happens. Um, you know, not everybody's got the same kind of uh, uh, God-given talent that, that can be developed into a world-class level. Um you know, but but there's certainly something you can pursue that that can offer unique value proposition, whether you're an individual or a business. And um, I think that you know there's a lot to really kind of suss out and think through when it comes to that continuum do be have. And you know, maybe we can maybe touch on some of that now, but I think I think it it's a lot to kind of explore and we could we could talk about that in our next conversation as well. Definitely. So I wanted to ask both of you, what are some of the current trends or developments in your field? Because it's moving fast. I know it is. And how are they impacting your work or your industry? What, I guess, sea changes are you seeing, if any? Well, I'm, I, I can start with that. Um, my, my area of strongest interest is the role of branding in um, business development and growth. And um, there's a growing realization across multiple business categories that brand equity is a real thing um and that people have to business have to have to worry about investing in, in their brand identity and growing that and they're not used to that if you come from a stricter sim marketing and sales background then branding work can seem um uh different and strange to you um i find that um that one of the most powerful levers, and it, it bears on the questions that, that we've been talking about, is that one of the things you do with branding is you try to identify who your brand personality is. You imagine yourself, your company as a person. 
And if your company was a person, what would that person be like? What would be their characteristics if you had to build that person? And having that notion of a brand persona under your belt, when you couple that with the idea of your of the market audience as a kind of singular person, the target audience that you are talking to, you imagine that ideal a customer as a singular entity. And so now you pair up the brand persona as a person with the market audience as a person. Now, these are abstractions now. You've constructed them. But it does put us in the mind frame of one person talking to another person in human conversation, right? It is a heuristic. It's a, it's a lever that lets us tap into the genius that we carry around in our brains about human connection, about human imagining your business as a per talking, relating to another person on, on that level means you will identify the mistakes that uh, we've been talking about. You're just not going to do the things that would be socially so strange and you would never do in person, right? The problem is we disc we think of business as, as such a, a different kind of, activity than interpersonal communication that we we don't see it that way. But this exercise of thinking from a brand perspective, uh, from this brand persona perspective, really is, I think, a powerful tool for leverage for for extracting the insight and wisdom that we already have and bringing it to bear to our business to improve the quality of the, the value that we're we're um, delivering to to the market. I see that trend spreading and i think it's a great trend it one is. of the thing one of the things that that we really focus in on and i think it might be you know uh, bring us full circle in this conversation because we started talking about you know what is genuine authenticity versus kind of this fake authenticity um and and really what we say brand what is a brand well, what we say is that a brand is what people believe about you, right? A brand is is ultimately the space that you occupy in the minds of your audience members about what they really believe about you. And, and the question is, what is the, di the distance or the delta between what you say you are and what you really are? Because wow. the people will find out. And, and when they find out, they're going to form an opinion about what they believe your value proposition really is. And, and in some people's mind, they could be your value proposition is just a crock of rubbish. It's a bunch of baloney is what your value proposition. That's what I believe. That's what your brand is to me versus, wow, you know, I, 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 I took the chance. I heard something about you. I, I looked into it. I've, I've now experienced something about you. And, and to me, what I believe is this, and that you, you really have something worthwhile and worthy. Um, it's one of the, one of the chapters in our upcoming book is, is, is the title of the chapter is be worthy. It's one of the things you got to be <laughs> right. Um, and, and, um, you know, so, so the, the brand, you know, branding really isn't just, you know, what's the. What's the story? What, what can we tell people? What, what can we make them believe to get what we want to get out of them? You know, that's that's not what branding is. Branding is exploring the things about you as this persona that, that Kevin said, the qualities and, and characteristics about this kind of personified version of your business that is easily relatable and can make an easy connection with the persona of the different people in your various audiences what what is it that that could be that that could be genuine and valuable and real and that really the the work of marketing and, and communications really is just to kind of turn on the lights to the truth gradually progressively step by step by step in an appropriate unfolding of events not like the car salesman we discussed earlier that wants to jump jump from hello to you know sign on the dotted line but what is the natural flow path that people follow in any given relationship? What are the stages of the relationship that need to be kind of progressively moved through to build a healthy, natural, productive relationship? That's what our book's about, the follow formula. And, and what are, what's, what's the work 
that needs to be done in each stage of the relationship? And and what are what's the milestone that you must reach to kind of uh, graduate from one stage of the relationship to the next stage of the relationship? Once you kind of map this out and understand what is a good and productive natural progression in a relationship, in a, in a business relationship, getting your audiences to say yes to your value proposition. Once you think that through and think about the, the, um, the audience and, and the stage of the relationship you're in and, and the goal you're trying to get, that's a natural, appropriate goal to get to for the next stage of the relationship. Now you can think about how to craft a message you know, who you're talking to, you know, the stage of the relationship you're in, you maybe know where and when you're interacting with them and, and you know what the goal is. And it's a, it's a reasonable goal. Now you can come up with a communication strategy that will naturally unfold, will attract inform, and invoke them to want to go to the next stage. And what you do when you follow this is that you ultimately maximize customer lifetime value. Not just the value of the customer to your business, but you learn how to maximize the value that your business offers to the customer. Understood. And you just had me thinking of something else because many times I think we don't know what our true persona is. I had to start actually listening to what people were saying to me and about me instead of saying, oh, hey, thank you. And then going and building a website or just forgetting all about it. And I realized that there was a flow to the conversations that I was having with people and the comments that were coming back to me and going, oh, I didn't know that about me. I had no idea. So let's talk about that. You know, when we're talking about our personas and sometimes we have to ask other people, we don't see what's in front of ourselves, but we are out of time, gentlemen, and I hate it, but we are, we're out of time. And I sincerely appreciate your company today. And I can't wait to the next conversation. So before I let you go, would you mind sharing your online presence and your preferred means of contact. If you want to learn more about Lenker, go to lenker.com slash Denise Griffiths. Perfect. I like hearing my own name. Woo. Okay. And how about you? Kevin? It's, it's, it's the same for both of us. Okay. It's the Good same. You can, you can learn all about us if, if you go to that, to that, to that website. Okay, great. Well, listen, everybody, thank you so much. We will be back in just a few days. And as we conclude today's episode, your feedback means a lot to me. If you found the show helpful, please support us with a quick review on iTunes. And this is why your input is vital in my mission to inspire and empower more individuals. So don't forget to hit subscribe, leave a review, and share your partner in Success Radio with friends and colleagues. And be sure to go find these gentlemen, John Linker and Kevin DeLaplante, on the web and connect with them. And thank you for tuning in. Gentlemen, I will see you in a few days. Thanks for having us, Denise. Oh, thank you very pleasure. much. Thank you for so much. It's been my very enjoyable. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab.